allow me to read the passage on which today's teaching is based, which comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 26. It's actually one of my favorite passages in the Bible, uh, one that's shaped me over many, many years. Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And this is God's word. For the past few months, even prior to Advent, we've been looking at the core values of Metro. And this passage, Matthew chapter 16, it speaks to our culture because Western culture, our current generation, is about what? Exploiting our creative uh, abilities, exploiting our creative passions to find ourselves, self-discovery. And this passage is one of my favorites. Decades ago, Tim Keller preached on it, and it influenced me greatly. It teaches us specifically about that issue, spiritual finding, self-discovery. Jesus says, if you do this and this, you will find yourself. You will find it. Verse 25 to 26, if you give up your life, you will find your life. You will find yourself. The Greek word for find there is psyche, where we get the word psychology. It means to find your real self, your inner person, your inner soul. Jesus is saying that here's the way to connect with, the way, with who you really are. Now, our social our society, our, our media, our generation today, they're obsessed with that. Self-discovery, why? Ernest Becker, he's a Pulitzer Prize winner, He wrote a book uh, called The Birth and Death of Meaning. And in that book, he says this, most of life is in large part a rationalization of the failure to find out who we really are, what our basic strength is, what thing it is that we were meant to work upon the world. In other words, for the majority of our lives, Ernest Becker is saying there's a disorientation. It's why we're angry. It's why we're fearful. It's why we work so hard It's because we don't know who we really are. We haven't discovered our true potential. Why am I here? Why are we here? Who am I? Jesus Christ says, I have the answer. 
You want to find yourself? Take up the cross and die. What does that mean? Now, this is a remarkable passage. It's outlined into three parts. Uh, And so we're going to work through each of those parts, and each of those parts becomes one of the points. We're going to look at the first part, which is where Jesus praises Peter, the second part where he rebukes Peter, and then the third part where he teaches his disciples. The praise, the rebuke, the lesson. First, we're going to look at Jesus' praise of Peter. Verse 13, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they respond, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus asks, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, his answer is remarkable. Why? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does that mean? What Peter's saying is, you see, you're not just a prophet. All the other prophets, Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, they pointed ahead to the day of salvation, but not you. You always point to yourself. All the other prophets, they teach and they say, at the end of their teaching, they say, declares the Lord, thus saith the Lord. But you say, I am telling you, verily, verily, I say unto you. Prophets always point to the way to be reconciled to God. But you, you always point to yourself. Peter's confession is remarkable. And so Jesus, hearing this, he blesses Peter. Verses 17 to 20, he basically says, what you're saying comes from God. On this rock, on Peter, on on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. Peter, you are the living stone. You are the rock on which I will build my church. What does that mean? Every other religion, the leader says, salvation, here's how you get it. I want you to do this, do this, obey, listen to my teachings. Jesus is the only leader that says salvation is not about doing, it's not about striving, it's not about earning, it's about receiving. It's not through your works, it's through me and me alone. Until you get that, you're not in the church. Until you get that, you don't get Jesus. Until you get that, you don't get the gospel. So Jesus' praise of Peter is really one of the most remarkable praises that he has said to anyone. That's his praise. Now, the second part is Jesus' rebuke of Peter. Now, after receiving that great praise from Jesus, it says, we see that Jesus, he becomes very harsh towards Peter, practically curses Peter, and he does it in public. You would never curse, Jesus himself, he would never curse anyone like that in public unless it was intentional, unless it was meant to teach. So this is a lesson for us all. Peter says, you are the son of the living God. What he's saying is, you are the beauty you are the majestic. You are the, you are the king of glory. And Jesus says, yes, blessed are you. Blessed are you. But then what? Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus presents then the plan by which he would defeat evil, the plan by which he would uh, usher in his administration. He says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be oppressed. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be raised. In other words, I'm going to defeat evil, not through strength and subversion, but through weakness. Not through power, but through giving up, through surrender, through defeat. Not through might, but through brokenness. Peter says, you are the son of God that the prophets spoke about. You are are the one that we've all been looking forward to. But then Jesus says, but I'm also the suffering servant that the prophets spoke about. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be oppressed. I'm going to be stricken for my people. It's the way that my administration will rule. 
in weakness, in humility, in brokenness. By the way, it's why a lot of what we saw this past week with Jesus' save signs hanging all over the place, that is not of God in that way. I want to say that. I want to make it very clear. This gives us a whole new view of God, you see. Because up until this point, we believe that power, the way up, was to fight and to battle. But Jesus says that the way up is down. Peter is saying, God delights in his son. God delights in you. Jesus says, well, this son will be rejected. He will be sacrificed. And Peter says, no, I cannot let that happen to you. I will never let that happen to you. And Jesus responds and says, what? You are Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. The little little Greek word there is, you are a temptation to me. What does that mean? In Matthew chapter four, Jesus Christ is in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, Satan himself tempts Jesus three times. And in each case, Satan says this. What he means is, I can give you everything. I can offer you everything and give you everything without you ever having to suffer, without you ever having to go to the cross. And each time Jesus says, no. Each time Jesus quotes scripture and says, no. So when Peter says, no, I can't let you suffer. I can't let you be rejected. I can't let you be sacrificed. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter is acting like Satan in the wilderness, tempting Jesus to let go of his mission, tempting Jesus to forsake his mission. It's why he came. It's why he's here. So verse 23, he says, don't try, what he's really saying is, don't try to fit me into your own idea of greatness. Because your idea of greatness, our idea of greatness, has no room for suffering has no room for the cross. It has no room for sacrifice, no room for trouble or grief or discomfort. You're not thinking about God, he says. You're thinking about men. Because don't you know, the way to victory is through defeat. The way to victory is through sacrifice. The only way you're gonna fill yourself is to empty yourself. I'm going to suffer I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to die because the kingdom of God advances to humiliation and suffering and death. The essence of Christian maturity is what? To understand that the kingdom of God advances through Jesus' humiliation and suffering and death. Then it will advance through our humiliation and suffering and death. And when you understand that, you will get the gospel. You will live out the gospel. You can find yourself. How do you find yourself? And that last part, we see the teaching of Jesus. In our world today, there are two ways of uh, defining ourselves. The first way, this should resonate with everybody here. The first way is through the traditional Eastern approach. It's through family, responsibility, loyalty, duty. That should resonate with everybody watching. So you gotta pay attention to this. The traditional Eastern approach is I find myself through the family. In a traditional view, your decisions are never your own because you never diverge from your family and their approval. You sacrifice for the family. It's all about family. So family is held up as an idol. And so if you want to find yourself, you need to lose yourself to your family. But the second way to define yourself is the postmodern Western approach. Uh, And 
they should resonate with everybody because we are right in it. We are in the postmodern Western world, right? And what does the postmodern Western world do to, to find themselves? By pursuing their desires, their wants, their appetites and their needs, their felt needs. There's a movie, uh, it was um, an old movie with Audrey Hepburn called Sabrina, later on remade uh, in the 90s. Uh, and it's about an unattractive, uh, naive, lower-class teenager who studied in Paris, who goes to study in Paris. She's the, she's the daughter of a chauffeur driver of multimillionaires, billionaires. In Paris, this unattractive, naive, lower-class person, um, apart from her father, apart from that world that, that looked down on her and, and saw her as kind of nothing, there on her own, she discovers the arts. She discovers culture. She discovers her calling. She finds love. And there she says, I found myself in Paris. What that means is through self-indulgence and fulfillment, I discovered my real potential, my gifts, my options, my freedom. The traditional approach is to lose yourself through duty, but the postmodern approach is to find yourself through desire. Find yourself through desire. Here, Jesus Christ says, I want you to have an identity. I want you to know yourself. I want you to, to have a self, but not apart from me. That's the only way. That's the only way you'll thrive. It's the only way you'll realize your true potential. Verse 25, it says, lose yourself for me and you will find yourself. If anyone come after me, he must deny himself. That's lose yourself. Take up the cross, follow me. In other words, build your life around the pattern of my death. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Build your life around the pattern of my life, the pattern of my death. And that's how you'll discover who you really are. Look at the cross. Let it shape everything you do. Let it shape everything you believe. Let it shape everything you think. It's oftentimes counterintuitive to how we would naturally respond to things. If you're not thinking and acting counterintuitively to the way you would naturally act or think, then you haven't denied yourself. You haven't taken to the cross. You haven't followed after Jesus. The Apostle Paul, we read it in a call to worship. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to find myself in Christ. You see that? I want to be raised with Christ. Notice Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't just say, I want you to deny yourself and die because then you would completely lose yourselves. He wants you to have a self. He wants you to find yourself. But he also doesn't just say, I suffered so you would never have to suffer. Jesus suffers so that when you suffer, you can become like him. And only when you realize that Jesus took care of the real guilt, the real cost, the ultimate condemnation, the ultimate suffering, then and only then, can you be on the path to finding your real self? How do you do this? How do you apply this right now into our lives? What does it mean to, take, to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow after Jesus in a way that when we lose ourselves, we would actually find ourselves? How do we apply this? First, you gotta stop trying to save yourself. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, whoever, loses, whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. That's not what he says, right? Stop trying to save yourself. Rather, what he says is, I want you to lose your life for me and then you will find yourself. Stop trying to save yourself and earn your identity through your behavior or your good looks or your reputation or uh, your pedigree to be acceptable in front of others as a way of uh, replacing, looking for and craving after acceptability before God. 
You got to fight that impulse to define yourself that way because if you don't fight, if you don't fight that impulse, that's going to lead to anxiety. It's what leads to anger. It's what leads to all the comparisons and the jealousy. It's what leads to lots of just widespread envy. You got to lose yourself. You're going to lose yourself that way. Two, stop trying to be strong by covering over all your flaws, by hiding your flaws. The world says, but you got to build. The world says, but you got you to build wealth. You got to build power. You got to take it. You can't be weak. Any, any sign of weakness, you got to cover it up. But think about this. The most powerful universe, the, powerful, the most powerful person in the universe, he came why? He gave up his power. And yet he was raised again. He was so powerful that even though he gave up his power, he was raised again. Why? Because his hope, his salvation wasn't built around power. Our hope, our salvation is not built around subversive power. That means that when you fail, when you're down, when you're guilty, when you're suffering, these things act as crucibles, great pressure areas, uh, which, in turn, which make you in turn look to Christ and become like Christ. You take a piece of coal and you put it under extreme amounts of pressure. What happens over time is it comes out a diamond. In the same way, when you fail and you're down and you're guilty and you're suffering, these things act as crucibles, tremendous amounts of pressure, which if you process it properly, the right reactions are taking place. You come out and you become more like Christ. Because when you suffer, when you suffer, it's easy to turn to Christ to look for help. But a Christian is reminded of Jesus's suffering then for you. The cross reveals who we really are. Jesus says, if you follow after me, essentially, you're going to find yourself. Why? Because when you start to pursue the cross, the cross gives you the most realistic picture of who you are. Because the more you look at the cross, the more you look at Christ suffering on the cross for you, there you see who you really are. There you see your sinfulness. And it's specific. There you see your your uh, godlessness. There you see your idolatry. There you see uh, all the ways that you've replaced God with other things in your life. When you look to the cross, on one hand, you see your real selves. You see your guilt. You see your sin. You see the cost. You see all of that. And it's really, really big. It's overwhelming. But only Jesus could pay that penalty. Only Jesus could pay that penalty. On the other hand, when you look to the cross, you see his love. You see God's love for you. You see Christ and his compassion for you. Only he would be willing to pay that penalty. And he paid it in full. You know what that means? When you trust that, it means you are God's treasure. You are God's sacred possession. Until you see how embraced you are by God, you will never be able to look at your real self in all of its flaws. In all, you, we, we, when you see the glory of God and the beauty of Christ, you see your sinfulness and your flaws. But you'll only be able to stand that without being consumed, really, when you embrace and see how much you are embraced by God, how much you see that you are God's treasure. Most of us spend a lifetime frantically trying to cover up our flaws, denying our sin. But when you see the cross, you see that your sin is greater than you could ever dare to imagine. And yet God's grace in Jesus is greater than you could ever dare hope. 
on one hand, that's humbling. Seeing sin breaks you. But when you know that God sent his only son to die for you, there goes the blaming, there goes the, the blame shifting, the excuse making, the lying, the covering up over the falls. It builds you, not on one hand, a humility, but then you also grow in a confidence because you are loved. You are, you are, you've been demonstrated tremendous grace. And so, number three, it takes you to strength, greater strength, greater freedom. A lot of us have been grown up in the church and we can't shake guilt in our lives. And the reason why is because it's hard to look at the beauty of Christ, the kingliness of Christ, and then just go directly and in, in, in revealing all your flaws. It's hard to withstand that until you see how loved you are. And the only way you can see how loved you are by God is to see the sacrifice that God made by sending his own son to die for you. When you look at the gospel, there you can see the love of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ for you. And when you see that, you know, on one hand, who you really are in your sinfulness, but also who you are in, as a treasure of God. It makes you stronger, it makes you freer, it makes you humbler and weaker on one hand, but courageous and more confident on the other hand. In verse 26, Jesus says, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What he's saying is, if your main pursuit in life is to enjoy a great career, build status, build your reputation, uh, you are under control. Think about this. A man that's making $500,000 a year and places his worth, his life worth, his self-worth in that $500,000 a year, then loses his job, he will then lose everything. He loses himself. He's gained the whole world on one hand, and yet he's lost himself. Jesus says, build your life around the pattern of my life and death. Build the pattern of your own life around what I pay to have you. Let that be your worth. Then you, you can, then you can look at anything and say, these all are good things. These are enjoyable things, but they are not my self-worth. They are not my life. So even if you lose them, you still have a self. You know how you learn that these things are not your everything a lot of times? It's when you lose them in the first place, a lot of times. It's through suffering. The core gets pulled from things that give you strength and you realize then you've lost your strength, you've lost yourself. Suffering helps you realize when you've lost yourself to gain the whole world. And so you need to lose, your, lose the world, deny yourself only to be able to find yourself. When you're suffering, you look to Christ, Jesus, the son of God who suffered. Real suffering is when you are in this helpless place where you can't save yourself, you can't help yourself, you're just broken, but that helps you to be free from the things that are really, really holding you back, that are really keeping you back from realizing and experiencing your real potential. Those are the things that are really killing you. And when you come to the cross, you see what Jesus gained in exchange for his soul. Jesus didn't just risk his life for your soul. He exchanged his life for your soul. He exchanged his identity and his status and his worth for your soul. You see that? Jesus Christ had, the, had an intimate relationship with the Father, the most intimate. The Father delighted in Jesus, and he knew who he was. He had a self, 
And yet he came to the earth, emptied himself of all of his glory. And on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I've lost my status. I've lost my job. I've lost my position. I've ultimately lost my life in exchange for our souls. The cross shows us how imperfect and sinful you are and yet how beautiful and perfect and kingly Jesus is. And when you see that Jesus, the high king, endured the ultimate suffering for you, it will birth you into a new love for Christ and you will start to treasure him. There'll be a renewed desire to serve Jesus, a humility that will grow like Jesus because you didn't deserve this this amazing love. You didn't deserve this amazing salvation. You didn't deserve this new life. But because you have this new life, because you have the love, because you have the salvation, and it wasn't based on your works, it wasn't based on your performance, there grows a new confidence, a new courage. You found yourself. There'll be new potential, greater options, greater freedom, greater joy. You will view your failures different because God didn't give up on you. Using your fail- God is actually using your failures to grow closer to him. Surrender to him. The way up is down. If you want greatness, come to him in weakness. If you want to become great, be defined by Christ's suffering on the cross. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Friends, the most important question that you can answer for all time is who do you say that Jesus is? Let's pray.